Supergirl gets new cast members. And we talk animation. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're going to discuss the Girl of Steel's introduction into the DC animated universe. But first... The news. We've got two really big uh, pieces of casting news to share. Uh, On February 20th, Deadline.com reported that Laura Benanti, um, who I've been enjoying in uh, the show Nashville recently, uh, has been cast in CBS's Supergirl pilot. Uh, She'll be playing Allura Zorel, the birth mother of Kara. Uh, Deadline describes Allura as a strong noblewoman who sends Kara to Earth to escape Krypton's destruction. Her wisdom and guidance echoes across space and time, proving invaluable on Kara's journey toward becoming Supergirl. In addition to uh, Nashville, uh, we know Laura Benanti from shows like Go On, Royal Pains, Law & Order SVU, uh, and Nurse Jackie. I also know her from Broadway. She's an amazing actress on stage as well, and she has won a Tony Award. And uh, you can follow her on Twitter at... Laura Benanti. That's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, and Benanti is spelled B-E-N-A-N-T-I. I've actually not seen her anything, so I'm excited that there's another actress on this show that I'm going to get to discover for the first time. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, she's really good. And actually, I primarily knew her from stage. Like, I'd seen her uh, in plays and stuff in New York and musicals. So this is going to be cool to see her in this part. And on February 23rd, TVLine.com reported that Callista Flockhart will be playing Cat Grant. Cat is described as J-Lo by way of Anna Wintour and the self-made founder of Catco, a media empire that includes a global magazine and websites in multiple spheres. Having started her career as a reporter, she has the media savvy of Kim Kardashian with the entrepreneurial knowledge of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. I thought that was interesting that today when this came out, they had sort of added a little bit to Kat's description. We, we see that she's, you know, a reporter and they dropped names like Kim Kardashian and Mark Zuckerberg. So that makes me really excited that not only we get a little more info on Kat, Callista will be awesome. I think it's perfect casting. Yeah, no, I think it's great casting. And I'm sorry that your dream of seeing Jane Krakowski in this uh, role did not come true. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, but I, I'm I'm willing to go with it. It's okay. I, yeah, I, no. I think we got a good substitute. We definitely do. I think uh, Calista Flockhart's great. I really like her a lot. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that they added the media savvy of Kim Kardashian and the entrepreneurial knowledge of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. Like, 
because um, originally it was J Lo by way of Anna Wintour, but they're they're going clearly for a more specific mm-hmm. thing with her. Um, and it's funny because I, while I love Callista Flockhart, I don't see her as somebody like that. Whereas your suggestion of Jane Krakowski, it was like, oh yeah, I kind of she, I, I feel like she would be that way. Um, I feel like this will provide Callista Flockhart with something different to do that she's you know not used we're not used to seeing her in this way yeah and not only uh did they mention like the media savviness of her they also mentioned that she had a career as a reporter so i wonder if we'll get some daily planet references or history from her past so that that makes me very excited as a as a daily planet fan (laughs) yeah maybe lois will you know somehow be involved Um, (laughs) they're doing lunch one day or something (laughs) that'd be awesome (laughs) <laughs> and in Kara Zorel news, finally we're getting to um, the actual actress who's playing Supergirl herself. Uh, JustJared.com spotted Melissa Benoist on the red carpet at the uh, film, Indepe- the Independent Film Spirit Awards, uh, the Film Independent Spirit Awards. It's, it sounds like it should be the other way around. Yeah, it's very <laughs> strange, <laughs> but that's what it's called. Uh, I know it's like. Crazy. Anyway, uh, on February 21st, um, sporting what looks like her recently dyed hair. And it does look quite a bit blonder. <laughs> I, I think she looks great. I, I, You know, it doesn't have to be platinum blonde. I think she looks great. So I'm very excited about her look. I am really happy that they that they didn't go like straight up blonde. Um, one, because I think she, she looks good with the darker hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, I like that this shade of, of blonde, it's kind of like uh, Laurel on, um, on Arrow. A little bit. Um, like, because whenever I watch her as uh, Black Canary, it's like, clearly she has to wear a wig because she's not very blonde. Even mm-hmm. though they talk about her as if she's a blonde, I'm like, that's not blonde. That's like <laughs> really light brown. That's not blonde. Yeah, but I, I think she looks good. And if that's what we're going to get for the Supergirl pilot, I think it looks great. Yeah, no, she definitely looks great. Pulls it off well. Well, and this last bit of news isn't directly related to Supergirl, but it does have to do with a Supergirl. An (laughs) 11-year-old named Rowan wrote DC Comics a letter to express her concern about superhero gender equality. I love this. (laughs) The Today Show on NBC put together an awesome video package telling Rowan's story, so you should all go online and watch it. But Today.com had this to say. The fifth grader addressed a letter to DC Comics, whose characters include Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, to express her frustrations. I love your comics, she wrote, but I would love them a lot more if there were more girls. I have never really understood why they've had more male superheroes, Rowan told today. It's not like the male superheroes are better than the female superheroes, but there are just more of them. The article also talks about how Rowan was reminded of this problem when she got a Justice League figure set for her birthday, and out of 12, only two of them were female. Rowan has asked for more action figures and better efforts on television and in movies. Rowan ended her letter by writing, quote, Girls read comics too, and they care. DC responded in a really awesome way by sending a rendering of her as a comic book superhero serving as a visual representation of what a hero Rowan is. So I thought that was a really awesome story. That is really great. And um, I'm going to post this on, you know, with our show notes, because I think this this rendering of her as super Rowan is really, really great as well. <laughs> um, it's super cute. Um, yeah, no, and I love that uh, girls seem to be getting more savvy about asking for what they want. 
you know, I've been noticing that a lot more lately that as, you know, little girls watch more things, read more things, they're kind of more media savvy. And so they know, hey, if I want to see something, I need to go here. I need to write a letter here. I need to send an email here. Um, so it's cool that she cared enough about it to speak to up. do something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Now that we've covered all of the news we wanted to get to today, let's start discussing Supergirl's first animated appearance, which was in a two-part episode of Superman the Animated Series called Little Girl Lost. Now, Superman the Animated Series was on the air from 1996 to 2000, putting it on the air at the same time as another Superman TV series, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which ran from 1993 to 97. So there was so much Superman going on in the uh, 90s. <laughs> I think that's the only time that's ever happened. The, the only thing close to that was when Smallville was airing at the same time Superman Returns was released in theaters, but it's not quite the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. It was, a, it was a good time to be Superman. <laughs> it was in the, early, <laughs> the, the mid to late 90s. Um, so the episode Little Girl Lost begins with Superman flying a spaceship in space. Which right away I was kind of like, doesn't he? Aren't there versions of him that just where he just flies in space by himself? There are um, there are some where he can fly, like in you know the Christopher Reeve movies, or even in Man of Steel, where he can go up into space without a spacesuit or anything. He's just wearing his Superman suit, flying up in space. But this one in the animated series, they would consistently put him in a spacesuit and put him in a spaceship. So some people do different things with him. Yeah. That. And it makes sense for, for a show geared towards children, too. It's like you kind of want to humanize him a little bit more mm-hmm. just to be like, hey, you can't breathe in space without, <laughs> right. without a helmet and a ship. Like, don't, don't, don't try this at home, kids. Yes. Don't go into space by yourself without a helmet. Um, <laughs> but uh, So Superman flies in space and he records an entry in his personal journal saying, after following the coordinates from my ship's initial flight recorder, I finally retraced the ship's escape route from my home planet, Krypton. And just when he's about to give up finding anything, Superman gets a distress signal coming from the edge of the system. Now, since there are no traces of kryptonite radiation, he goes to check it out. And when he does, he finds a video-recorded message from Kala Inze, who is Kara's mother, uh, who was the chief physician of Argo City. And her message tells Superman about how Argo was once a thriving, vibrant world till its sister planet, Krypton, exploded and tore Argo from its orbit, moving it away from the sun. Survivors of the earthquakes and the floods who were freezing became desperate and started sending out distress signals. Uh, Kara's family members are all that's left of Argo at the point of the message. And Superman thinks when he gets there that he's too late to save anyone until he sees a young woman in one of the chambers. So obviously he goes in there to get her. And I think it's interesting that uh, <laughs> get some more crazy science in here. Um, so the explosion of Krypton tears Argo from its orbit because that happens. Because <laughs> <laughs> rather than a chunk of Krypton flying off, you know, into space by itself and Kara surviving on that, like this is probably one of the more accurate ways that this could happen if it was going to happen. Right. With all the earthquakes and the floods and everything. Yeah. It seems like, yeah. Like it seems like a more natural, as close to scientifically accurate as we'll get in a comic book 
cartoon of how this, you know, would occur. So I thought that was neat. Anyway, then we get to Smallville, Kansas, where an animated version of Al Roker. Which I, uh, I love that because it is clearly Al Roker. He yes, looks no, like him well, and he sounds like him and it's hysterical. Yeah, no, I, I, I seriously laughed out loud when I saw that. because I was like, that's amazing. It's Al Roker randomly. Um, but he tells you know, Smallville, Kansas to go out and enjoy that great, big, beautiful sun. And so Kara, of course, uh, newly arrived to Earth, um, takes that opportunity to go out and fly until her, you know, until Clark snatches her out of the sky, telling her no vroom during the daytime. Uh, now that she has amazing abilities, Kara wants to help people and is curious and kind of excited about this organization called Intergang causing trouble in Metropolis. But Clark encourages her to be patient and take more time to adjust to life on Earth. Well, Kara ends up going to the Daily Planet, and she does it by passing herself off as Clark Kent's cousin, which surprises him because he doesn't have a cousin. She tries out a disguise with dark hair and glasses, but Clark knows immediately who she is, which is hilarious given his secret identity. (laughs) I thought that was amazing because I'm like, really? You're telling her this? Really? Right. So the reason that Kara comes to the Daily Planet in this scene is to offer her assistance to help Clark fight inner gang. But he doesn't accept it because he's worried for her. Meanwhile, Lois Lane passes up Jimmy Olsen's help to investigate inner gang. Having both been denied by their mentors, Kara and Jimmy team up. Kara tells Jimmy that she's an intern named Karen, which is either just a play on Kara or a reference to Power Girl by way of Karen Starr. And when they team up, they go check arcades to figure out where a token that Jimmy had found during an inner gang attack came from. And while they're at the arcade, Kara uses her x-ray vision to identify a member of inner gang. So she and Jimmy follow the two who fought Superman in an earlier scene back to their hideout. In order to get in, Kara secretly uses her super strength to lift the door. But they get caught and come face to face with Granny Goodness. Who, by the way, is voiced by the legendary Ed Asner. And I actually saw Ed Asner at Dragon Con a little while back. And yeah. he, he was so funny because I guess he's gotten to this point in his his age, maybe, where he just, he doesn't care anymore. And I kind of <laughs> love it. Like, he was at this panel and it was indoors. And I had never seen this before at Dragon Con ever. But he got out a cigar and just started smoking it during the panel. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> and I was like, nobody else could get away with this but Ed Asner. Uh, of course so not. That really cracks me up. But yeah, he's he's so good. I don't I don't know if I would have known it was him playing Granny Goodness if I was just kind of listening to it. So I think that speaks a lot to how he developed that voice for Granny Goodness. Yeah, it's funny because I I did re- like after a while it started sounding like a male voice to me and then i was like wait a minute is this being voiced by a guy i'm like hold on so yeah no he did a great job yeah and so after they come face to face with granny goodness jimmy tries to play it off cuz he's you know i guess a little freaked out by these people he's come in contact with and he tries to play it off by pretending he and kara are a couple wanting to join up in inner gang and jimmy even says my chick and i heard inner gang was back in biz Sounded like a good gig. Thought we'd join up. It's so funny. Yeah, he's trying to be real macho. Gosh. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, Kara wants to shut Granny, who she refers to as a psycho witch. She wants to shut her down, and she gets in a fight with people she calls Granny Goodness's goon squad. So during the fight, her clothes have gotten ripped, so she tears them off, and it reveals her Supergirl costume, which is the white T-shirt and the blue skirt, and which also happens to be the Linda Danvers Supergirl costume. And when Jimmy sees this, he says, I don't believe it. A super girl? And Supergirl responds, believe it. <laughs> and that totally reminded me of the, uh, of the movie as well. It's a super girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't hear something like that in the CBS series, because it seems like a lot of people like to play with that. Yeah. Well, just when it seems like Supergirl has taken down all the bad guys in Granny Goodness's Goon Squad... Granny summons her female Furies, who are made up of the characters of Lashina, Stampa, and Mad Harriet, and she summons them through a boom tube, and part one of this episode ends with Supergirl and Jimmy seemingly trapped and scared. I have to say, one of the things I really liked about the character of Supergirl in this episode and, and on this show is the fact that she starts out really just reckless, mm. um, but in a good way. Like, I like that... Whereas in other incarnations of her, she's more naive. And so, you know, her her being new at this kind of is expressed in a more – it's more about naivete. But here it's just like she's young and she's impulsive and she just wants to do stuff, even if it's wrong, even if she's making tons of mistakes. It's like I want to help people. I want to save people. I want to do things. And so she just does them. And so her youth is kind of expressed in a more, I think, true way to me. Um, cause kids screw up and they want to be <laughs> yeah. helpful, but they don't know what they're doing and they just kind of rush into situations without thinking. And I like that that's how she is on the show. Yeah. She's definitely impulsive and she gets kind of in trouble for that later. But, uh, yes. but I, but I do <laughs> like that she does it from a place, like a good place that she does yes. want to help and she does want to save the world. But yeah, she, I like that you, you mentioned that, you know, kids screw up, that she is sort of a kid to Clark in this case. And I also like the uh, the parallel between her and Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Like they both kind of, they have similar goals to kind of prove themselves. You know, Jimmy wants a story. She wants to show Clark that she can do this on her own. Yeah, I like that too. That's It's a cool parallel to show that they're they're trying to prove their worth and trying to get the respect of the people they admire. So part one of the story ends in a cliffhanger. You know, they're surrounded by... Uh, by Granny Goodness and her goons. And so part two starts where that left off, with Supergirl and Jimmy Olsen facing off against Granny Goodness's female furies. So Supergirl makes sure that Jimmy is able to run away from the fight, and then she is able to take them on all by herself. While that's going on, Lois Lane and Clark Kent are at Fleischer's Symposium press conference when they feel an earthquake. Um, and I think that's awesome because... Uh, you know, the Fleischer name is a nod to the 1940s Superman cartoons, which were produced by Fleischer Studios. And actually, according to IMDb.com, Bruce Tim was originally going to style Superman, the animated series, after the Max Fleischer Superman. Uh, but he didn't want people to say that they're just doing a ripoff of a, a third rate knockoff of the Fleischers. So he changed the look up a bit. So they're at this press conference and they feel an earthquake. Um, and given Lois's reaction, an earthquake in Metropolis, um, apparently those don't happen very often in <laughs> there, um, which I thought was interesting. Like, earthquakes kind of happen everywhere. She's yeah. acting like they've <laughs> never happened in Metropolis. 
but Clark uses his telescopic vision to see that the earthquake is caused by the fight that Supergirl is in. So Superman goes to help. And the problem is he gets taken to Apocalypse by the female Furies. So Supergirl and Jimmy Olsen, uh, meanwhile back at their fight, uh, they find a boom tube remote control and Supergirl goes through it, determined to go after Superman, who was just taken. And she arrives on Apocalypse and says, what a toilet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then she sees a giant statue of Darkseid and says, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. Uh, soon after that, Supergirl is spotted by some parademons and chased uh, throughout Apocalypse, causing her to accidentally drop the boom tube remote, uh, which gets destroyed in a fire. Um, but to escape the parademons, uh, Supergirl spins into a mini tornado that causes the fire to consume them. Which I thought was very interesting because she doesn't seem to, and maybe this is part of her Im- impulsiveness, that she doesn't seem to worry or care about the fact that she's just killed all these parademons. Now, granted, they're bad guys and they're chasing her and all this kind of stuff. But I, I was like, whoa, Supergirl just yeah. burned some burn some dudes alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, and it's also like, I guess easier to get away with when the things that you're destroying aren't human, mm. um, which I don't know what that says about, I mean, because she's not human either, technically, but <laughs> she certainly looks more human than they did. Right. So Granny Goodness and her female Furies take Superman to kneel before Lord Darkseid, who then tells Superman of his plan to let a comet destroy the Earth. And actually, when we were talking about... Uh, Fleischer Studios earlier, um, according to the DCAU wiki, the plot of using a magnet to attract a comet to Earth echoes an episode of the Fleischer Superman cartoons called The Magnetic Telescope. Uh, In that cartoon, Superman has to find a way to stop the comet from colliding with Earth, much like Superman and Supergirl in Little Girl Lost. Um, So that's pretty cool. They're kind of uh, going back to storylines from the original cartoons as well as the comics. Yeah, those are great old cartoons. So if anybody has anybody listening who has not seen it, you should totally go and find them. They are great. Definitely. Actually, a friend of mine has a uh, a collection of them that are joined with uh, the Christopher Reeves uh, Superman movies. Yeah. So it's like there's a box set of all of them together, which is pretty rad. So uh, Supergirl punches Granny Goodness after being told this plan and boldly confronts Darkseid. And she says, I've seen one planet die and I'm not going to stand by and watch it happen again. I thought that was really cool because earlier in the episode, she's like, I, don't, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. And then she finds the guy who, it, who is the real guy, not just a big statue. And she <laughs> goes straight up to him and has this big moment where she's like, I'm not going to let you do this bad thing that you're doing. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And also I, I like that they tied it into her, her character and her story that, that she's not just doing this to show off or to save the world or to be some kind of hero. This has like a personal, mm-hmm. you know, like she feels a little bit of guilt, um, you know, being helpless in the face of her own, planet's destruction um and i thought that was great that they called back to that and i guess part of it if she saves earth she sort of feels like she might have saved krypton like or or argo she 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 sort of feels like maybe you know i couldn't save my family i couldn't save my planet but at least maybe i can help save this one um 
but she, she says this, she stands up to Darkseid, and with that, Darkseid uses his Omega Beams to torture Supergirl. Um, starts zapping her. And seeing Supergirl in trouble, Superman tries to fight back, but his hands are chained up, and he can only knock Darkseid over, which I, I actually liked watching him do that. Like, he's all bound, but he's still, like, fighting with his head. He's kind of going at it like a, a bull in a china shop. But um, I didn't really understand that, because it's like, well, Super Supergirl can fly on Apocalypse. She can go around and do all this stuff. She's got her super strength. Why? I, I didn't understand why Superman didn't have his powers. It's it's true. I I mean, I assume it had something to do with the thing around his neck, like they were controlling his powers in some way. Um, but I only guessed that. Like, I don't, there's no, yeah, there's nobody no, said anything about it. <laughs> yeah, there's no explicit statement about why he can't use his powers. But I, that's a good guess. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, I mean, but I did wonder why she could fly because I'm like, okay, if she gets her powers from the sun, where is Apocalypse in relation to our sun? Is it only our sun? I'm overthinking this, I know. No, <laughs> these are good questions. <laughs> but, um, and actually it's funny because I, um, I wasn't aware of the Granny Goodness character before watching this show. And uh, so I didn't know that um, that she had a connection to Darkseid. So I was watching this and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool that like Supergirl gets to face off against a female villain and have this, you know, the, the female furies and all of that. And it's great. And then to find out that they were just working for Lord Darkseid, I was like, oh, great. <laughs> of course, they're working for some dude. It can't just be like you know, this group of female villains that want to take over the world. It's like they're working for that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're so kind of disappointing. They're always kind of tied to dark side. Yeah. No, I, I did research on granny goodness. I was like, Oh, that's how she was conceived to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to watch stuff with a modern lens. And especially since I'm newer to comics, like that's the lens I'm looking at it with. So regardless of the history, it's like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm used to seeing and what I want to see. And, to see it not reflected there was was just interesting to me. That's a really um, interesting perspective because I'm just I'm so used to that's the way it is that I don't I don't even think about that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I think it kind of goes to show that um, in addition to female heroes, which we definitely need more of, I think we also need female villains. Um, women certainly aren't perfect, and <laughs> you know some sometimes women want to take over the world too and have ambitions for world domination. So <laughs> we need to see that in addition to more female heroes. I, think I, would, I would agree with that. I'm I'm a big fan of villains, so I would be totally down for uh, female villains to to face off Supergirl. Definitely. Hint, hint. Greg Berlanti. <laughs> well, after this whole skirmish with Superman trying to fight back uh, with Darkseid, Supergirl fights the female Furies. Talking about Supergirl going up against these uh, other female villains. She moves, uh, the way she's able to defeat them, she moves faster than Mad Harriet, who accidentally gets kicked and knocked out by Stompa. She uses a pillar, a big pillar, this is where her super strength comes into play, sh to knock out Stompa. While Lashina and Granny Goodness get, they kind of get like electrocuted with Granny's weapon. I didn't really understand how that happened, but they're yeah, her like her like fancy like electric fabric thing wraps around the weapon, and they're like electrocuting each other. Yeah, it seems really weird. <laughs> they sort of screwed that one up. <laughs> um, but after all of them are defeated, Supergirl frees Superman, who finds a boom tube remote control, which they needed because the other one had gotten burned up in the fire. And before Darkseid can hit them with his Omega Beams, he tries that again, they escape Apocalypse 
through the boom tube. And when Superman and Supergirl arrive back on Earth, they find the doomsday magnet. And impulsively, you're talking about uh, Supergirl's impulsiveness, she calls the doomsday magnet scrap metal, and she destroys it. And this is where <laughs> Superman gets a little upset with her for doing that, because he might have been able to use that magnet to repel the comet that was coming towards Earth. But now, because he can't, Superman has to do it the hard way, which involves him trying to deflect the comet. But he struggles with it. Even though he's Superman, he struggles with it, and the comet breaks in two. So Supergirl sees the second piece, and since she's always wanted to save the world, <laughs> this is a good time to try to do it. She flies straight into it, causing it to explode. And Superman is able to push the original piece of the comet away and back into space, and then he catches Supergirl as she falls after having been knocked unconscious. So after saving the world, the front page of the Daily Planet reads, Supergirl smashes intergang slash saves Metropolis to boot. And it has, <laughs> it has a James Olsen, who's, who's obviously in this, in this case a grown man, uh, <laughs> because he's going by James Olsen, not Jimmy Olsen. And he's, he's, got, he's got his own byline underneath it. He got his story. Yay! James Grown Man Olsen! <laughs> and the episode ends with Supergirl flying in Metropolis and Clark telling Jimmy, my cousin's in town and something tells me you two would hit it off just fine. Because that's not a big giveaway or anything. No. No, but I like that this episode, much like we see with Supergirl's origins and in Supergirl the movie that we uh, talked about last week, that they sort of played up the Kara Jimmy Olsen relationship. And we'll we'll see that when we talk about Smallville, too. That I, I just think that's neat that even with this CBS show that's coming up, Kara and Jimmy Olsen seem to always be kind of intertwined. Yeah, no, definitely. They, I mean, they started off their history, you know, together. But yeah, I, I like that in this one, we we kind of see them kind of in the same, at the same point in their lives. They're looking for the same kind of validation and they have a lot in common, even though they couldn't be more different. But like fundamentally, they have a lot in common. And I think that watching that, and exploring that will be really interesting um, as the show comes up, you know, this fall. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Little Girl Lost, which is an episode that I loved, um, or two episodes, rather. But before we go, we actually have some more listener feedback this uh, week. First up, Craig D, who says, I watched Supergirl, the movie, years ago as a kid. Got the DVD today. Seems to be a big fuss about kissing in the movie and on the text of the DVD cover, um, which, you know, it says on the back of the DVD, it says, Helen Slater plays the title role, posing as Midvale prep schooler Linda Lee, battling a sorceress, Faye Dunaway, for control of an alien power orb and enjoying an unexpected dating ritual called kissing. <laughs> um, so uh, going back to what Craig MacD was saying, he says, there's been a long history in the comics, and I think the movies, showing that Kryptonians aren't the warmest people. Man of Steel takes it further by saying that Kal-El is the first natural-born child in generations. And we all know what natural-born means, am I right? <laughs> um, yeah, the- yeah, but he's, okay. he's, he's right. Man of Steel did that. And I think the John Byrne run in the comics when he sort of rebooted Superman, I think in the 80s, they had something similar to that, to where there were uh, 
ways of not of of having children without having to do it the natural way. <laughs> Going back to this comment, he says, uh, all the other children are basically test tube babies. I think that's why Kara doesn't know anything about physical love, kissing, etc. Also, Jor-El knew his son was going to get superpowers on Earth, presumably because he'd been watching the planet for a while, and Argo City was probably doing the same thing. Um, I think that's interesting. Uh, what would have been great is if that would have been explained. Yeah. Um, because I, I think that's a really in- interesting history. And he's right that, you know, other incarnations of Superman have um, alluded to that fact that, you know, they're all test tube babies, basically. And so physical expressions of love are not necessarily the way to go on Krypton or in Argo City. But to, I think our our issue with that stuff in Supergirl the movie was that it seemed to be very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, she seemed to be very, you know, a warm and bubbly and loving person on the one hand, and then on the other hand, doesn't know what kissing is. And also, if they are watching the planet for a while, you'd think they'd know about customs like kissing. You know, that would have got, like, news would have spread. They would kind of be, you know, paying attention to things like interactions, especially if they can look and see you know, what Superman is wearing <laughs> by looking <laughs> yeah. over there. But I don't know. What do you think, Rebecca? I, I think he makes good points. I, I'll, I'll go with, with that, that in Super Supergirl, the movie, that that's kind of the same thing as Man of Steel. I can I can go with that. That Even if they don't explain it specifically, I, I guess I can use my imagination for that. Yeah, I know. I kind of, I kind of wish Craig would have written it. It probably would have gotten in there and it would have been better. <laughs> Yeah, so that was a good comment. Thank you for posting that. Definitely. Thank you. And we also got an email from Ange uh, this week with some comments about Supergirl the movie. And Ange says, for the character of Supergirl being naive about some stuff, which apparently a lot of people responded to about what we talked about, uh, about some stuff and smart about others, I think it shows how some creators have a hard time with her character. She's supposed to be innocent and sweet, smart and proactive, fierce in her pursuit of justice, optimistic, but overall loving. How do you mix all of that together in a satisfactory way? <laughs> it isn't easy. And uh, I would agree. That's probably a very hard balancing act that you have to do with all those different personality traits. Well, I think um, it's interesting because there are, you know, conflicting um, things about her character. But I think that, and this is something that happens with female characters a lot, is that because there are so few or, or there are uh, much fewer female characters uh, just in existence, um, we feel the need to make them perfect and to make them like not have flaws and not, you know, so it's like they're trying to make her everything, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying to make like give, you know, so she can be all things to all people. And I agree with with uh, Ange that, you know, people don't know how to write her like they're, because they're thinking of her as she's Supergirl. She has to be everything. And it's like nobody can be everything. Just write her like a character. Right. She's going to have flaws. She's going to have things she could do well. And um, that's what I thought, you know, Little Girl Lost did really well was to show her as a character with flaws. You know, she has these powers, but she's also an impulsive kid who screws up. And yeah, so I wish more people would kind of take that tack as opposed to trying to make her this perfect example of female heroism because you know perfect is boring (laughs) (laughs) yeah and well Ange goes on to say i wonder if inner space is some version of the survival zone 
a sort of phantom zone Zorel and Laura flee to in the Silver Age comics to survive Krypton's destruction. I'll go with that. Huh. That sounds like a good explanation. And just, yeah. Yeah. Ange recommends Supergirl number 43, in which Sterling Gates sort of recreates Zoltar. Ange says, Gates was a huge fan of the movie and put in a bunch of homages in his run. Ange wrote a review of that issue that we will link to in our show notes. And I thought it was cool on uh, February 19th, Sterling Gates actually tweeted out a comic image uh, paying homage to Supergirl the movie. uh, And the image has her saying, uh, I don't scare easily. So it's cool that he he kind of worked out into uh, some of his comics. Ange also writes, since this is in the cinematic universe with the Donner films, some of the odd things we see could go back to the Kryptonian culture we saw in the Reeve movies. I don't think there was a lot of kissing in the cold, sterile Krypton we saw in the Donner movies. However, it is hard to reconcile that with the sort of free love hippie vibe we saw in Argo in Supergirl the movie. So I think that's a good point. Like you could kind of go with, oh, maybe they just, that wasn't part of their thing in Krypton because that's what you see in the Donner movies. But, uh, well, the Donner movie, <laughs> uh, Lester took over uh, in, in Superman too. But yeah, I think the the contrast there with the, the free love hippie thing that Argo had going on, I, it, it it doesn't fit. Yeah, um, and it's it's true because I hadn't really thought about that angle of uh, that we've been talking about about uh, you know them being test two babies and not uh, expressing you know physical love in that way. And it's true every time I've ever seen you know Superman's parents, for example, or you know any other Kryptonians, it's always like the man and the woman they're standing together side by side, mm-hmm. but they're not like. They never embrace. They just it's just kind of like the guy has his hands on the woman's shoulders and that's like as intimate as they get. <laughs> um, always looking off into the distance or something. Yeah. Um, but now to answer our question uh, from last week's episode about how Selena knew about the Phantom Zone uh, and speculates. I always thought that Selena knew about the Phantom Zone because of the Donner universe. Surely the story of Zod and everybody else would be world news post-Superman 2, and maybe its existence had become common knowledge. I think that's, you know, certainly, like, I kind of wish, if that is the case, I wish that uh, the movie would have made more of a, a thing about being connected to those movies, because pretty much the only connection that we see is is Jimmy Olsen. Right. Um, and mention of Superman, but, you know, they could have taken that further and making it more of a world, but... That wasn't really a thing in the 80s, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess they didn't think about how to expand that in, in the mid-80s. So I, I, I think it's just part of the culture at the time. They weren't thinking about that story-wise. But yeah, nowadays we have those questions about, oh, the interconnectivity of all these stories. You, you, have, you want to be able to, to make them uh, line up. So, But I, I, I can kind of go with... Oh, Selena probably heard about that on the news. <laughs> it's a great explanation. And I think that that Ange and Craig should write a new Supergirl movie because <laughs> I would probably watch it. I would see that um, movie. Because they have great explanations. Um, now, we also had a question last week about the headband that Helen Slater almost wore with the Supergirl costume. And Ange, you know, comes through as saying, as for the headband, it's Supergirl's costume in the mid-80s, from 84 to 86 when she died in the crisis. Um, supposedly it was introduced in the comics because it was going to be the costume in the movie. But then the movie changed their minds. Meanwhile, it was already in the comics, so it stayed there. 
Um, and Ange thinks the battle with the invisible monster is the best scene of the movie, even if I don't understand the powers. <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty cool scene. It is. It's just, yeah, it's like, how does that, oh, let's not think about it. Um, but Ange comments on the movie's performances by writing to us, I love O'Toole in this movie. Slater has talked about how helpful he was with her performance, coaching her and doing Shakespeare with her in her downtime. As for Dunaway, she chews through the scenery like any ham villain should. So I also like her performance. Yeah, I think the ham part of that comment is perfect because she does. She hams it up, and that's the way you're supposed to do those kind of roles. So I would agree with that. She she plays it like any ham yep. villain should. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, and says, lastly, it looks like Allura is being set up as a mentor figure for Supergirl in the show. I love that idea. Um, and I, I love that idea as well. Um, I don't think we see, we see nearly enough. Um, I think I commented on the, uh, on that in the last episode when we were talking about Supergirl, the movie, and I talked about Zoltar being Supergirl's mentor Mm -hmm. and how it's always like an old white guy. So yeah, if she can have her mom acting as a mentor to her throughout, that would be really cool. Yeah. I'm curious to know how they're going to do that. I don't know if I would assume that. My my thinking is that Alora would be dead, you know, if if it was a Krypton thing or an Argo thing. I don't know exactly how they're going to play it, but I don't know is is Alora going to be alive in this one? I don't know how that will work. So I'm I'm anxious to see how Alora is going to be that mentor figure if, in if she's alive or not. Yeah, no, that's interesting because yeah, you would expect that she would be dead, and and if if that's the case, then. You know, she'll probably pop up in flashbacks. We'll probably, you know, she might have conversations with her mother in her head. You know, there's mm, there's yeah, a yeah. million ways to do it. Um, but anyway, Anj, thank you so much uh, for emailing us and sharing your thoughts. And, you know, Craig, thank you for commenting on the blog. Yeah. And if you want to contact Supergirl Radio like they did, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash supergirlradio. Follow us on Twitter at supergirlradio. Check out our exclusive pictures over at instagram.com slash supergirlradio. We are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you have time, we invite you to rate and review us on iTunes. And a special thanks to Mike Schmidt, Ducksman, and TNNS Ba. I guess, T-N-N-S-B-A-W, B-A-W uh, for writing reviews for us. That was really cool. Thanks for doing that. Yay. Thank you so, so much. Um, and we love hearing what all of you have to say. So please write us, email us, you know, post on the blog, whatever you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can also find me personally uh, on Twitter at Teresa Giacino. I also have a Patreon page that you can check out if you want to read some of my writing and fiction and stuff. That is patreon.com slash Teresa Giacino. Uh, and I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash the uh, Teresa Giacino experience. And you can follow me on Twitter at Derby Kid and watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. And that's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And now join us next week uh, when we'll be discussing two Smallville episodes featuring Laura Vandervoort as Kara Zor-El. Till then, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. So all of you folks around the world, get out there and enjoy that great big beautiful sun. (laughs) 